Welcome to the Pacific Point Church Podcast, where we're learning to love and live like Jesus. During this half hour, we're praying that God will direct, encourage, and speak to you. If you would like to partner with Pacific Point Church and our church plants, you can download the Pacific Point Church app at the App Store or visit us at pacificpointchurch.com give. At that same site, you can also watch and listen to previous sermons, read follow-up blog posts and extended notes, and even connect with Pacific Point Church on social media. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. How are you? Uh, welcome this morning. I am, uh, I am, what am I today? Uh, I am, I am confused. How's that? Let's go with that. No, I have, I, I want to preface this by saying this has been one of the uh, more difficult messages I've had to put together, meaning there's so much happening in it. Um, I, I, so I want to preface it. I want to preface this also by saying I'm going to tick some people off, which I do pretty regularly, but, um, but I just want you to know um, there's a safe place to wrestle through truth. So if I happen to make you mad today, please don't ghost the pastor. Do you know what that means? <laughs> Gosh, Christians are brilliant at ghosting pastors and churches. You know what it means? It means they just disappear. They disappear, and, and the pastors know where they went, what happened, and what he said. I always blame it on the musicians. The musicians always blame it on my message. It's just this big, you know, but uh, th- there's some, some stuff here that I really want to, now that you guys are scared a little bit, I want you to wrestle through, and I think it's, uh, I think it's just really important. So we are in this series called Who's Eating Your Fruit? And the, the, the uh, premise is this, that each one of us bears fruit in our life, some good, some bad. But we know this for sure. People are eating it. People are grabbing the fruit off your life, and they're eating the fruit of your life. And last week we talked a little bit about what that's about and what that looks like. But what we said is this, over the summer, we want to till the soil in your souls, Because what happens is the bad fruit is produced when the soil, when the soul is in a bad place and the land becomes tired and less fertile and and, and pesticides, it becomes resilient to. And all these things, these analogies that we use around crop and around fruit that comes forth, what I want to see, what I'm believing God for this summer is that we'll just allow the Holy Spirit to turn up that soil, add some nutrients so that in the fall in next week, next month, that there may be some fruit coming off your life that someone might just grab a hold of. And they might take a bite out of it and say, there's hope. There's Jesus. See, if the church would think this way, as opposed to check into church, check out of church. Maybe read my Bible, maybe not read my Bible. If the church would think a little differently, if the church would see that God gave us the opportunity, which is crazy because you guys are pretty messed up, and I am pretty messed up, but God gave us the opportunity to push out hope, and it's Jesus. And I I want us as a church to be that. Now, Today I want to talk about this crop rotation. What, what we've seen is this. The land has eroded in many of our hearts. It just, you know, you know it just, it, it kind of erodes. There's, there's no foundation when the same crop, and this is, when I saw the erosion, this is what it said. There's no foundation when the same crop is planted repeatedly. 
Now, that, that sounds interesting. What I've seen in the Christian church, what I've seen, I'm generalizing, is, is this. The same crop that is being, being planted is, that, is one of secularism. The crop that is being planted is what they're preaching to us on TV, what they're saying to us in the newspapers. The, the, it's, it's that, hey, your feelings are so important, and they are. It's, it's this, that everything needs to be politically correct. And, and we're planting these seeds, and they've just, I want to I tear up that foundation and, and, and bring a sturdiness to our souls. And it starts with holiness. Let's, let's read this scripture out of Luke. It says this. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets began to break, or were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the boats to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. Let, let's pray. Father, uh, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the truth of your word. God, I pray that you give us ears to hear and eyes to see this morning. God, you, you'd put aside all agendas all preconceived notions, all unmet expectations. And God, you'd speak to us clearly. God, that the foundation of our soil would be, would be stabilized um, and that the stability would come through you and your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What is holiness? I, you know, it's amazing because we throw this word around and everybody, holiness, holiness. And, and, but I, am, I was blown away this week by studying and reading and looking at, at that, that concise, just tight definition of holiness that I, I thought as a pastor I should be able to just throw out there. But the more I read, the more I wrestled through, the more it's just like this. And, and, and I'm hoping that I brought it down. But it says this. God's holiness is God's defining characteristic. It's who he is. It's not what he's doing. He's not holy. It's who he is. There's no separation there. The holiness of God is a term used when the Bible describes both his goodness and his power. It is completely unique and utterly all-powerful, radiating out from him like an energy. The, the analogy that's used over and over is like the sun, that it's, it's putting off this heat, but if you get too close, you will get burned. There's this power that is, is God. It says, in fact, God's holiness is so overwhelming that you can actually, it can actually be dangerous to approach. It can actually be dangerous to come into his presence. Goodness and power, it says of God, in his holiness. Now, Psalm 106 says this, Praise the Lord, O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. It talks about God's goodness. And throughout these scriptures, I could have given you hundreds of scriptures on his goodness. And it says of his power, he determines the number of stars, he gives, them all, gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord, and abundant is his power, his understanding is beyond measure. 
So I'm just kind of giving a, 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 a overview of those two things. Now I want to kind of dive in. And I want to talk about these three encounters. One with Moses and God's holiness. One with Isaiah and God's holiness. And one with Peter and God's holiness. And ultimately, I, I want to ask you and me, what is it like to encounter God's holiness? When's the last time you, you stepped into this, this holiness of God? The first one we see in Moses in Exodus 3.5. And it says this, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. This sets a table of this place where God resides, that he literally says, don't come closer. What we said is the power of God is so powerful that he said, look, don't come closer. And in fact, take off your sandals in this place because there's holiness that is right here. And Moses has this great experience at this place of this fear, this healthy fear and seeing of who God is. And we see Isaiah. And in Isaiah 6, 5 through 6, it says this, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people with unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to him, with a, with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Again, we see Isaiah in this dream that he has that, that there's this woe is me. I'm in the presence of God. I'm in the presence of God Almighty. And then lastly, we see Peter. But when Simon Peter saw it, this is the story after the fish had come and the boat was going down. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Three very clear pictures of men who encountered God in such a way that there was this just power and, 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 and this humility, and, and even more so, there's this understanding that they were sinful men. When they step into the, the presence of God, there's this, oh, who am I, God? This moment of understanding. The biblical responses to God's holiness is this. Moses hid his face, for he's afraid to look at God. The biblical response to God's holiness is this posture of on my face going, I can't even look upon you, God, because I'm a sinful man. The biblical response to Isaiah's holiness, God's holiness with Isaiah's, woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. And then with Peter, it says in Luke 5, 8, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Each one of these men, when they encountered God, when's the last time that you've encountered God in such a way? When's the last time that there was this holy moment that I've experienced with God? I'm saying this to me as well as you. It's easy to play the game of pastor. Do you guys, you guys know that? That's not easy, but it's easy. I know how to play the game of pastor. How's that? I've done it long enough. I know how to play it. 
And, and, and it, this can escape me. This place of, oh God, who are you and who am I? And each one of these men came in the presence of God and it changed them. It changed them. See, their biblical response to God's holiness, it's an understanding of who God is first and then who am I. Who God is first and then who am I. It says this of God in Psalm 103. It says of, of, of him, it says, uh, Blessed, O Lord, my soul, and forget not my, his benefits, who forgives all my iniquities. It says God forgives all, who heals our disease, who redeems life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy and steadfast goodness and renews your strength. It says this of God, that God is good and that he's gracious and he's merciful and he's loving. That's who God is. Did I turn to that when I wasn't looking? Um, R.C. Sproul said this, it is because we are sinners and because God so often showers us with grace that we lose sight of justice of God and the blackness of sin. Say, so just hold, hold there for a moment. Think about what's going on in the world right now. Think about the, the craziness that's going on. It is because we are sinners. That's our first problem. We don't look at ourselves as sinners. We don't see ourselves as sinners. We don't enter into these places of holiness. So therefore, the sins that we wrestle with, the sins that continue our lives, aren't interrupted because we never come into this place of holiness with God. It's because we are sinners and because God so often shows us grace. See, what we have done is mistaken God's grace for us doing right. We think because, you know, he hasn't wiped us out like we see as we characterize the mad God in the Old Testament, that everything's all right. We think that the job, because the job may be going all right, or you may have the finances you need right now, or your marriage may be in the right place right now, or whatever it is, we mistake that with God's grace. Therefore, we feel like we can stay in the sin that God is so aware of in each one of our lives. And Sproul says it, it is because we are sinners and because God so often showers us with grace, that we lose sight of the justice of God, which means this, God will not leave your sin undealt with. God will not leave my sin undealt with. He will deal with it. We think because we can get away with our sin that God's not dealing with it. The reality is God is gracious and merciful, and this is how he works. First thing he says is his he brings conviction in our life. You know that feeling after you sin? And it's kind of like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. The next thing that God does is he's like, okay, you're not going to listen to that. Let me bring someone else along to kind of shake you up. We see this in the life of David in 2 Samuel. And, and, and someone comes along and says, hey, brother, I'm with you in this. Let's go. The third thing God does when we don't respond and we think his grace is covering everything is God exposes us. And this is what's interesting about God exposing us in our sin. God never exposes us because he wants to make us look like fools. God always exposes our sin because he's so gracious. He loves us too much to leave us in our sin. God loves you too much to leave you in your sin. And the exposure, if we get to that point, is because God wants you to repent. See, when, when you lose the justice of God and the blackness of sin, and you stop realizing who you are, 
God goes, I'm gonna, I love you too much to leave you there. And he changes us. Now, here's the problem. There's a, a hard ground that we're standing on today that we are saying is holy. We're exchanging truth with the lies. Now, I'm, I'm going to kind of shift here into the next part of this. And uh, this is, let me just qualify by saying, it is not political. It is not left or right. This word is apolitical. It is not democratic, and it's not republican. So a topic that I might talk about is not a democratic or republican topic. I'm talking about a God topic. So when we talk about the fear of God and we talk about holiness of God and, and I'm getting ready to wrestle through a, a, a topic, I'm talking about truth, a God topic. So uh, don't, look it through the, don't look at it through the lens of left or right. But there is a ground that we are standing on in the country today that we have deemed holy. That, that we sit at and we, we, we drive, and I'm generalizing as a, as, as a nation, I'm saying that we, we put a stake in and we say, this is a holy place. And literally, just as Moses went before the burning bush and, and God said, take the sandals off, there's this place that, that the secularism asks us to take our sandals off and worship at this place, a place that you can't touch, a place that is powerful and holy just as God is. It's this place of feeling and political correctness. And we've exchanged our feelings and political correctness for the truth of God's word. We, we, we've done this exchange and we said, my feelings are more important than what the word of God says. And, and we've said things like this, saying the right thing is more important than what the word of God says. Quiet, it's so dang quiet. You guys are, and there's no one sleeping, which tells me that you guys are a little on edge here, okay? Because um, usually there's a couple sleepers. Um, <laughs> we've exchanged truth for how you feel. How do you feel? You know, like I'm trying. I was trying to remember when I was thinking about this. How many times my dad said, "How do you feel?" I couldn't remember him saying to me, "How did you feel?" It, it, was, it was always around truth. It was always around, I'm not so worried about you how you feel about that. Let me tell you the truth of that. And, and in the church and in, in, in this, this nation, it's like, how do you feel? And I'm, I'm so sorry you feel that way. And, and there's this political correctness that I've got to say the right things. And, and there, it's starting to be even, uh, gosh, it's getting to a point where in this place, they may deem that you cannot speak what I speak today. That it is politically incorrect. But you can't separate God's holiness and truth and still have these, I need my feelings to be heard. Now, that sounds very cold. Because I, I am a pastor, and, and I, I have feelings, and I know you have feelings. But it says this in Romans 1.25, but they exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped the served and the create, create, creator <laughs> rather than the creator. 
creature, sorry, rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. They, they switch things around. We live in a culture that's obsessed with feelings and political correctness. The ground is hard and dry. There is no fruit. Why, why am I hitting this message? Because if, if we're talking about having fruit in our lives that go forth that someone might eat, we, we've got to turn the soil. And, and this, this country that we're living in, the soil's getting harder and harder. Harder and harder. Feelings and political correctness. Look at Francis Chan said this. Francis warned that in its compassion for people, the church has lost this understanding that, yes, I feel you're hurt, so stop right there. Yes, this is a safe place, and, and we need to rally around hurts because people are hurting. I get it. Okay, let's, and, but, but look what he says. Yes, the church has lost the understanding that, yes, I feel you're hurt. But he says this, but my biggest concern is you're not seeing the center of it all, and you're not seeing this being who is so far beyond you that you have to answer to. So this being, God, is so much bigger than your feelings. And ultimately, you have to answer to God, not the feelings. He says, and that's bigger than you, than the hurt that you're currently facing. And his thoughts are so far beyond ours. What do we say? God's thoughts are not our thoughts. They're different. And God's uh, not so much worried about how I feel today. He's worried about his truth going forth in my life. Because the reality is if you live your life by these feelings, many of you wouldn't even be in here today. I'm not sure I would be here today if I lived by my feelings. Let's just be honest. I'd probably be surfing or sleeping. If I live by my feelings, I would, I would eat ice cream, I would drink wine, and I would eat cheeseburgers every single day. Donuts. I forgot to throw in donuts. If I live by my feelings, Chris would sit at my feet every day and not just twice a week. Come on. She's at Children's Church, so I can say that. If I live by my feelings, I would, I, my life would be completely turned upside down and all around. But God hasn't called me to live by my feelings. He's called me to live by the truth of his word. And when I come into this place of holiness and I see who he is and I'm prostrate before him and, and, and I understand that my feelings aren't what really matter here, but it's that sin, that I, sinful man that I am. And that I, 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 God has called me to so much more. And in the church, we have this church of, of so much of this, oh, come and let's just hug let me just hold your hand and give you a big kiss. And that could be trouble, so let's go in the right way, okay? You guys didn't get that, did you? All right, slow today. It's th this church of, of, let's get another psychiatrist, let's get another. Now, let me, let me qualify this. I, I, I think psychiatrists and, and are, are very important, and therapists are very important. But I think we've over done it in many, many ways, as opposed to... Uh, the Word of God sets you free, not the psychiatrist. The Word of God delivers you, not your therapist. Go to the therapist. But it's the Word of God that I have hope in, not in them. And that, that's what Francis is saying here. He goes on, he says, the church must stop apologizing for the way that God thinks and acts 
and what he says is right and wrong. We've got to stop. All right, then let's, let's, let's talk about it. Life. <laughs> Does anybody know where I'm going? Go on. I haven't touched it. Sanctity of life. See, the sanctity of life and holiness are, are just inextricably tied together. God's holiness and sanctity of life. And the ground at which the secularists are worshiping on, and the bush that is on fire that is speaking to us, says the opposite of what God's word says. See, because it says things like this. Life is not life in a mother's womb. It says things like this. That I'm not even sure life is life right outside of the mother's womb within the first whatever you want to make up. It, 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 it totally takes this word of God. And it says, as you, as you come to the secularist, postmodern mindset, take off your sandals and worship with us. Because my feelings about what happened when I got pregnant are more important in life. Okay. Sidebar. Uh, if uh, um, I'm not speaking to you today out of being some, you know, angry white short preacher from Orange County, <laughs> although two of the three are, are true, um, that doesn't know what he's talking about. I want to continue because you know where I'm going, but I, I want to set the stage. I'm not, I'm not speaking from just ethereal, sounds good crap. I'm speaking from my life. Here's why. My wife at, at uh, and I got approval even though she's not here. She's in children's church. My wife had an abortion at, um, I think it was 19 or 20. And as a husband, I've had to wrestle through all that with her. And the effects of that and what she went through. Now, some however many years later, I have a daughter who uh, gets pregnant, as you know. If you don't know, I have a daughter who is pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> Has a beautiful, he's here today, little three-year-old boy who's amazing. And this 17-year-old this girl in high school, unbeknownst to us, had to make a decision. Had to, had to make a decision that culturally the world's sitting in this place worshiping, take your sandals off, and worship at the feet of secularism that says this isn't a baby. It's all right. Get rid of it. It, you notice they say. And this other side, that, that truth that says life starts the moment... There is an egg and, and a sperm that come together and make a completely different DNA. Three totally different cells that make something completely different that's never been there. And I have a daughter that, by the grace of God, chose to have a baby. Now, it, it, you know, knowing that her mother was going to lose her mind and, you know, and her dad would be gracious and, and bring her back in... <laughs> She, she, 
<laughs> this wise 17-year-old girl to whom her mother um, lost it. She really did. And I know it's hard to believe. I, I get. Let me, let me explain why. Because her mother had an abortion when she was 19. And her prayer for 20-plus years was, God, that my daughter would never go through what I went through. To which my wise 17-year-old daughter, with child, said I didn't. And in the heat of moments, said I didn't kill my baby. <sighs> I'm, not, I'm not talking about theory here. I'm talking about life. And, and I know when, when, I, when I come to this holy place, I, I can't not talk about it. It's just either this book is true or it's not. Either God is God or he's not. Either he delivers me and he says right and he says wrong or it's not. Sometimes a 17-year-old pregnant woman has greater wisdom than 40-year-old parents. In 1943, since in 1940, she's sorry, in 43 years since Roe v. Wade, been 59 million abortions. Life. I love this. This Frederica Matthews Green is reading. She was this hardcore feminist. Actually, she says she still is a feminist. She's written for the Washington Post and all these these liberal, just newspapers. Brilliant woman who who uh, was marching in the 70s and just hardcore. And, and, and she sat in an abortion with a doctor and came to this, this new, and she says this, it is said that nobody knows when life begins. We just talked about this. But that's not true. Everybody knows when life, a new individual human life, gets started. It's when the sperm dissolves in the egg. That new single cell has a brand new DNA, never before seen in the world. If you examine through the microscope three cells lined up, the newly fertilized ovium, a cell from the father and a cell from the mother, you would say that judging from the DNA, the cells came from three different people. When people say the unborn is not a person or not a life, they mean that it has not yet grown or gained abilities that arrive later in life. But there's no agreement about which ability should be determinative. What does that mean? That, that when you take my my three-year-old grandson right now, and you throw him out there and say, go live life, it ain't happening. So does that mean his life should be over? He doesn't have the ability to function, that determinative ability to live and make it in this place. No more, no less, maybe a little more, obviously a little more, because than, than a baby that is in the mother's womb that is growing changing every single day. This, this woman who was hardcore women's liber just came into this revelation of what is life. And then God says this. Uh, my theology is not based on this woman, but it's, it's fascinating. But God says this, I knew you. We, we could stop right there. I knew you. 
That, that, that word no means intimacy. And he says this, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. In other words, I knew you and I had a plan set out for you. Before a single day came to be. And then he says in Psalm 139, For I formed your inward parts. You knitted me together in your mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in the secret intricately. See, see, he's either God or he's not. It's either life or it's not. There is no in-between. There is no gray area. But let me give you a side note and a caveat. I have no problem wrestling through the gray area with you. I'm not asking you as believers, some of you, maybe you're not a believer, to come and go, all right, I take in just all belief and I'm going to believe because you said in this word. No, 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 no. I'm asking you, if you don't believe that it's life, to wrestle through it with us. Wrestle through it with me. See, that's the grace side. The truth side is, it is life. The grace side is, let's wrestle through it if you can't. You're not there yet. A lot different than the truth side that says it's life. And the other side, this is you're going to hell if you don't believe it. And you hold up signs with fetuses and all those things. And if you did hold up signs with fetuses, God bless you. Therefore, there's no condemnation. (laughs) Any, never mind, I won't go there. God knew him. I knew you. See, the, the womb is a place of consecration. It declares God's holiness. It, it, consecration literally means to declare. It declares his holiness. If holiness is God's goodness and his power, what is more good and powerful than two cells coming together, forming you and me? What is more good than holding and smelling that baby? It's, I mean, it's so good. That, that baby smell and those noises and that crap that they have and all that, that baby stuff. It is, so, it is the epitome of good and, and, and power. Holiness is goodness and power. The power of, of how this happens and how these cells just multiply and regenerate and, and, and come into a place and it comes out and it looks like smells like that. It's life. It's goodness and power in the womb of a mother. And, 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 and there's, there's a million, gosh, I've spoken to a million people, what about, what about rape and what about incest and, and just all of these, these, these things. But it, it says this in Isaiah 55. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. 59 million people, what could have come of them? And again, argument, I had a buddy that argues, ah, it's a way to clean up, you know, society and get rid of, I'm like, dear God. It's a way to not deal with unwanted kids. Now, if I asked you, 
do you want to get a shot at it, or do you want us to just be the unwanted kid that we take out here? It, it, 59 million. Who was in that 59 million people? I, I think, what, could, what would they have done? What about the tax revenue? <laughs> I what scientists? What musicians? What good people? What Mother Teresa was in that group? What? 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 I mean, 59 million. What? People. Souls. Life. Life. See, the problem is, is, is many of us, we put God in this box. We put him in this box. Why? Because of our feelings and our political correctness. I don't feel like that, 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 uh, that, uh, that it's life. It's, it's not right. The mother needs a choice. You know, all these arguments, it's, it's because God is in this box. And I feel this way, and if I keep him in this box, I don't have to deal with the truth. I don't have to deal with what his word says if I can keep him in this tight little box, and I can deal with my feelings about What's a baby and what's not a baby? I can deal with, with what's politically correct and what the left, right, and everybody else, I don't care about the left or right say. But you can't put God in a box, if he's God. If he's not God, put him in a box, put it in your back pocket, go through life. In fact, what is it really worth? If you put him, the reason we put God in that box is to make you what? Fill in the blank. Make you fill in the blank better. Make you feel better. It, it, to make you think that it's all right. See, but this is God. There's no boundaries. It says of him that he's omniscient, all-knowing. There's no boundaries. Beginning to end. It says of him that he's omnipotent, all-powerful. There's no boundaries. It says of him that he's omniscient. Did I say that one already? All-knowing. Did I say that? Yeah, I said that. Uh, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. There's, there's, there's no boundaries in this God that we serve in this Bible. And when you put that box around him, and when we worship at this hard ground that says, my feelings matter. Yes, your feelings matter. But they matter in the context of God's word, not your randomness of what you think is right or wrong. Because if we go by what you think is right or wrong, we're in trouble. If we go by what I think is right or wrong, we're in trouble. If I could live by my feelings and go what I think is right or wrong, I would preach a message today about ice cream. <laughs> and the best flavor of mint and chip. <laughs> Not about life. God, who wants to hear about that? Well, this is what we signed up for. Some of you are saying, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> What I signed up for is that fruit that God is calling me to bear starts with this holiness thing. This whole holiness that I have to touch is being in God's presence. 
See, when he touches us with his holiness, we're changed. We can't not be changed. It changes your body, your mind, your spirit. You walk with a conviction and a grace that it's, it's again, it, gosh, the church has missed the boat because the issue with this abortion, again, is not picketing and signs. The issue with this abortion is that the church has not responded and answered the problem saying this, we'll take your baby. In fact, we'll pay for you to get through this so we can take your baby. And the church has not done that. She has just said, you're going to hell and said, you're wrong and you're this. And that's not Jesus in grace. Jesus said, you want to be the church? Then go get that woman and stand with her and pay for the whatever needs to be paid for and walk with her through everything she's going through. That's the church. That's what the church is supposed to be. So these three men have this experience with God. Look what happens to him. For Moses, the hope is God said, I am who I am. And he says, say this to my people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. For Moses, the hope when he experienced God was go and deliver my people. And he did. For Isaiah, he was a, a voice to the people of Israel that were in bad places and, and a prediction of, of Jesus or a prophetic picture of Jesus is coming. It says this, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, the live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And when he touched it to my mouth, said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. It is this picture of Jesus coming and from the cross, spilling his blood, touching you and me so that our sin would be gone and we could be in the presence of a holy God. For Peter, his hope was this. Jesus said, Simon, don't be afraid. Stop being afraid. Stop being afraid. From now on, you're catching men. And when they brought their boats to the land, Peter left everything and said, I'm with you. I'm with you. For you and I, the hope, Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's a gift of God. That I can stand before a holy God and be in his presence. That, that is a gift that God gave me. Our hope is tethered. Did I spell that right? I don't know how to spell very well. Our hope is tethered. Thank you. Our hope is tethered to his holiness. It, it, the hope of Christ Jesus coming is tethered to his holiness. It, it, it's attached to his goodness and his power. And, 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 and uh, truth is truth. I would love an ice cream message today, but I can't. I, it, it's a life message. And, and, and I'm, 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 my prayer this morning is that the soil in your, in, your, in your spirit is turning upside down and around this week and this morning so that God may do a new work in you that you might produce a fruit that someone will take a bite of. And they might say, Jesus, Jesus. How did God's holiness play out? Moses delivered God's people. Isaiah warned and, and pointed to Jesus. Peter became a fisher of men. For you and I, it's that, that someone might eat our fruit of our life. And 
their life might be changed. Because this is, 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 is what the why of what I do, what I do in, in, in Christianity. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. See, the heart of God is that each one of us would come to a point of repentance and touch and experience the holiness of God and be changed forever. That's holiness. That, that's a picture of holiness. That's the stirring. That's the... My prayer, it is a, a pray for you right now, is that the ground is being stirred up. If anybody, I'm going to qualify again, needs to wrestle through some of this, please call me. Let me know. Okay? This is not easy. I'm not expecting everybody to go, okay, you know. I'm expecting you to wrestle with it. I'm expecting you to struggle with it and then go to God's Word and see what He might say as we presented it to you today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this this time. God, this this, uh, subject... uh, God, the, the levity of it. God, I pray that uh, your spirit would take any words that were miscommunicated and, and make them abundantly clear. That, God, anything I said uh, that wasn't of you, Lord, that, Lord, that they would see, that we would see the hope of Christ Jesus, of his grace and his mercy in each one of our lives. And that, God, that we would truly be a people that valued life. But, Lord, even more so that we would be a people that step into your holiness that you might Christ uh, forgive us of our sins that God you would deal with our heart you know this is this is a, uh, a time oh, okay I was going to keep going <laughs> Let go. this is the time that we receive communion could lead us through communion today but as I had no idea what he was preaching on but as he gave a word this morning the Lord began to speak to my heart that this isn't a female issue this is a male and a female issue and that um, maybe today you've been affected by this 59 million that statistic is staggering so I can't pretend to sit in this room and say that Maybe one of you hasn't been affected by this, whether you're a male or whether you're a female. And maybe for today, for the first time, you came into a realization that it wasn't it. It was an actual life. And there were some strong words used, like murder. And maybe you're really wrestling through that. Maybe as a a male, you didn't have a choice and a female took an option. Maybe as a male, you encouraged that female to make that option. And maybe some of you are like me, and I came to that space of realizing it wasn't an it, it was an actual life, and I did commit murder. And I had to come to God and say, can you forgive me? 
And his answer is always yes. Quoted the psalm, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, that not only does he forgive all of our sins, but he heals every disease. And I want you to know that there's no condemnation in Christ. As I said, get into a community, into the fog, the family of God, that in the body of Christ, there is healing. And I say that because in James, it says, confess to one another your sins that you might be healed. And if you've experienced some of what we've talked about today, I want you to know that there is healing for you, that the God, want, the God we serve wants to heal you. And so we'll be available. I'm available. I know John's available. I want to pray with you that you might have that opportunity, the freedom. We're set free people. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood, which is shed for you. You know, that blood was shed for the remission of all sin. In fact, it says that it actually blots it out. You can have it blotted out. And then he took the bread and he said, this is my body, which has been broken for you. He didn't have to take the whippings, but he did. And his stripes are how we have the healing. It says by his stripes, we are healed. So, so saved, delivered and healed. So as you come today, I know often we reflect on ourselves and the crappy stuff that we've done before we come and take the cup and the bread but I want to say would you reflect today he says do this in remembrance of me don't do it in remembrance of you and what you've done do it in remembrance of me and what I have done and that night that they were doing that they were doing it in remembrance of the Passover and celebrating these incredible works that by the blood of the lamb that was on the doorpost death they escaped death and then they walked into freedom as they exited slavery. In the same way, you can escape those things of death and walk into freedom as you take the bread in the cup. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Pacific Point Podcast. If you would like to partner with Pacific Point Church and our church plants, you can download the Pacific Point Church app at the App Store or visit us at pacificpointchurch.com give. At that same site, you can also watch and listen to previous sermons, read follow-up blog posts and extended notes, and even connect with Pacific Point Church on social media. We hope you are encouraged today.